Welcome to another episode of Off the Menu. I'm your host, Vincent Franchini from Tumblr House, here with a passive-aggressive Charles Coulomb. Passive-aggressive? Really? You have a bad tendency sometimes, you know? You're calling me passive-aggressive. Yeah. You're saying, basically, that I will kind of weaponize uh minor things and turn them into sticks to beat people with yes verbal sticks or whatever yes that all that i i basically look at everything as combat and that you know i'll i'll pretend to be all smooth and easy and then all of a sudden the worm turns and i grim my and i bare my teeth i feel like you got that from your mom Mother was sweet. <laughs> she was very, very sweet. <laughs> she uh, she knew how to keep people in line, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, my boy, oh, boy. I tell you, though, I, I never miss her more than now. Her birthday is coming up, November 21st. Ah. And if she were alive today, she would be 98. Wow. Uh, she was born in 1924. Wow. Okay. So she was six years older than my dad. Wow. I didn't know she was that old. Oh, she would have loved hearing you say that. Oh, no. <laughs> you you would have really gotten into her sights then, let oh, me tell you. Oh, man. Really? Uh, well, that old, uh, really. Is that what you're, you're saying? I'm that old. <laughs> Well, no, I didn't mean it the way it sounded. Oh, I know how it sounded. Oh, you would have paid the price. For that. <laughs> you know, one time I was I was going out with her, my oldest nephew, and myself, the three of us, to go see a movie. And she's standing there, but she can hear what was saying at the box office. And guy was about to say, two adults, one senior. I said, I stepped on his foot. I said, guy. Three adults. If you want to live through this movie, don't get your grandmother a senior ticket. And he realized, of course, the truth of what I said. So he said three senior, three adults. And mother looked quite happy. But I saved the boy that day. Wow. That's a life debt right there, I guess. Oh, I would say. <laughs> I would say. I mean, I, I couldn't believe... With her standing there, he was going to say, two adults, one senior. She would not appreciate it. Unbelievable. Just outrageous, audacious. Uh, very spacious. I don't know. No, well, she, she, though, I mean, uh, apart from that, she, she really, she really could weaponize things, you know. Uh, some of the, uh, you know, some of the things she could say, like, um, I co-wrote many, many, many years ago. The only time I ever did this, I co-wrote a script with a good friend of mine named Gib Papazian. And unfortunately it was stolen by an Indian producer, but nevertheless, we wrote the thing. And while we were writing on it, uh, we were at a party and my parents were there. And mother's talking to Gib, and Gib just recently admitted to him that he said, you know, I love your dad, but I was always afraid of your mother. <laughs> she, she, she said, well, you know, what are you doing now? And Gib says, well, uh, Charles and I are, are co-writing a script. And she said, why are you boys wasting your talent on film? You should do something decent with the theater. Uh, I I I don't know how to unpack that. So that's there's not money in the theater, but it's kind of an antiquated suggestion. What's no, going on? No, what she was saying was that film isn't you know it's beneath contempt, and that theater is what decent, uh, honorable people work in. Ah, mother had certain prejudice. Apparently, 
But she didn't do theater. Oh, yes, she did. Oh, she did. Okay, I I know yeah. she's a voice actress, right? For she radio. Was radio. Yeah. But but before and particularly after that, off Broadway. Ah. So I mean, one of the one of the great ways when we wanted to distract our parents, if um, either my brother or myself were in you know a bit of trouble, the way to escape would be to get them talking about a play called uh, Hedda Gabler by um, Hendrik Ibsen, which they had both been in. Uh, my mother playing uh, Hedda, and my dad playing the evil uh, the Judge Brack. All we had to do was somehow get them to start talking about the motivations behind those characters. And we were gone. We were just out of it. And the two of them were off in a world of their own. Wow. It was wonderful. If you could somehow bring up Hedda Gabler. Hmm. That's interesting. Theatrical family. What do you want out of me? Anything else going on? Yes, a lot is going on, dare I say it. Firstly, I want to make a shout-out to a longtime fan. Yes, by the name of Yesenia Ruiz. Sounds familiar. Okay, what did Yesenia do? Well, Yesenia, I don't know what she does. I really don't know her at all, but I know her uncle. By marriage. Okay. Who is, uh, and my condolences to Yesenia on the recent death of her mother. But her uh, her aunt, the mother's sister, married a man named Thomas Trito. And Thomas Trito, uh, Mr. Trito, as we called him, was my teacher in sixth grade. Oh. And he, yes. And he made a huge difference in my life. In three ways. You know how there's at least one elementary school teacher that made a difference for you? Right. Right. Well, that was Mr. Trito for me. And what were the things he did, you ask? I'm glad you asked that question. Firstly, he introduced me to journalism. Secondly, he introduced me, well, the whole class, to three places that I still love. The La Brea Tarpets the Arboretum in Arcadia, and the Huntington Library, all of which I first went to as a sixth grade student in Guardian Angel uh, Elementary School, Pacoima, California, 1971 to 72. And that, but those do not compare with the third big thing he did. Okay. He introduced me and us by reading them to C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Ah. And that, of course, in turn introduced me to Tolkien and the Inklings and the, uh, the world of Tolkien fandom and scholarship and made me a ton of friends I still have, like the Callahans, uh, Oxel, of course, and so many others. Uh, whom I all and I owe it all to Mr. Trito. And I'm happy to say he's still with us. So to Yesenia Ruiz and to her uncle, Mr. Thomas Trito, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And dare I say it, thank you. Hmm. All right, that's a that's a nice one. Um, do you like that? Yeah. All right, anything else before we get on to the state of the week? Oh, I'm so tired. Uh, oh, yeah, well, of course, we just had uh, uh, Martinmas, and I had my uh, goose for lunch today. Goose soup followed by goose, and it was so very good. Next week, as we know, this past week we had also Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, etc. Next week, or no, not next week, the week after next, is Thanksgiving. So get ready for it. Absolutely. You're going to take a four-day four day week off? Four oh, day yeah. Week? Oh, yeah. Big time. I have an important question, though. You know, I've been wanting to have goose 
for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Like probably like ten years. But the people around me don't want goose. I don't really. I, I, uh, I'm not sure actually. Um, well, that's the first question. Have they had it? Right. Well, it's what you have to ask them. So, where would where would one get a, a goose to like to, cook in a, like a turkey? Right. Yeah, like, most most big supermarkets in LA. I I never had any trouble getting a goose at Christmas time in uh, LA. I have to go. I have to drive it to Los Angeles. No, no. I mean, I, I got mine in uh, the San Gabriel Valley. I'm in the LA area. Oh, oh, okay. I used to get my goose. Uh, where would I get it? Uh, Albertsons, Ralphs. The Ralphs on Foothill. We used to carry it. Oh, and Vaughn's Pavilions. Oh, okay. Huh. Okay, very good. Um,. Well, I'll try that out then, I guess, because I've just, uh, I I actually shop at that Ralph's, but um, I've never seen it. Anyhow. Ask uh, the butcher. Well, that's true, I guess. Go to the butcher department and ask him about goose. Hmm. Okay. Usually, they'll be frozen lying there in piles with other frozen birds. I see. All right, very good. Um, you could right. try a peacock. <laughs> I'd get thrown in jail. Yes, it's true. In Arcadia, ladies and gentlemen, the peacocks roam, but you go to jail if you eat them. Yeah. I remember one time, uh, Nicole, after a bunch of us had breakfast, she had just been out from Indiana for like a year or whatever. Well, just outside the... Um, just outside the uh, restaurant was a peacock perched on this on a column. You know, they had these columns on the outside of the restaurant. And there was a peacock perch. And, I mean, it was the most bizarre-looking thing. It was a male peacock. So it had all the feathers and everything. It just perched there. She looks and she says, what is that? And I said, what's what? That, that bird, is that a peacock? And I said, you see a peacock? <laughs> and she said, yes. I said, do you see them in a lot of places? Just <laughs> oh, she got mad That's brutal. What? Oh, like there'd be a peacock there. <laughs> <sighs> um. Wow, that's a good one. All right, uh, time for the state of the week. Are are you ready? I are. State of the week is Nevada. Woof. Well, Nevada is an interesting, interesting state. Um, frankly, its best known spots uh, are concentrated in two areas. Now, native Nevadans will get annoyed at me, but it is what it is, what it is. The Vegas area and the area around Reno, Lake Tahoe, etc. Uh, those are the two areas to visit. Vegas, frankly, I've been there several times, and it doesn't do it for me. I just... If I didn't go to Vegas again the rest of my life, I'd live. But the other part of Nevada, very different. Uh, Lake Tahoe is wonderful. I really, I really enjoy Lake Tahoe. Uh, there's a little town that was the territorial capital, Genoa. Spelt like Genoa, but it's pronounced Genoa. Uh, Carson City is the capital. Reno, the biggest little city in the world. See, if you don't, if you're not into gambling, then what that leaves is historical and natural beauty, and that area has a lot of it. Uh, Tahoe is an amazing place, both the California and Nevada sides, just really amazing. Now then, in northern Nevada, there are places like Elko and Winnemucca that I've frankly driven through, stopped, and had a bite to eat. Uh, And that's pretty much what I know about Nevada. Um, 
but a lot of it's just pretty empty. Now, I know that some of our listeners slash viewers will, from Nevada, will be able to rush in with my lack of knowledge and uh, fill it in. Um, but the fact is that the biggest part of Nevada is just very desolate. There's not a lot there. But as I say, the area, Carson City, Reno, Genoa, Tahoe, Virginia City, wonderful place, uh, old uh, western town. I love that area very, very much. All right. Um, all right. Let's go to the questions. Um, okay. Oh, Drat, I forgot to write this person's name down, but uh, he or she says, new patron here, I would like to first pay deference to the management magistrate, Mr. Franchini, for permitting me to have this custodial job. Upon getting fired for not taking an oath to uphold and defend Pride Month, this job has given me the opportunity to feed myself, albeit with cardboard mackerel and bathtub carp. See, there are happy endings in life. Absolutely. You know, I that thank you for for bringing this up um cuz I haven't done a shameless plug for the Patreon. Sign up now for as low as $5 a month. Get access to uh the pre-show um which is generally uh at least 30 minutes uh, every week. Uh, and get access to all the pre-shows. There's probably like hundreds of hours of extra content uh, to dip mm. into, get early access. Usually I release um, well, we're doing the show on Sunday today, so it's not too much of early access. But usually we film on Saturday and put it out on Saturday night. Um, and get your questions asked, most importantly. If you have questions for us, right now we're only asking uh, questions from Patreon uh, members. So you have a question, Patreon is for you. Um, limited time offer. Batteries not included. While supplies last. Is last. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, no CODs. And operators are standing by. Act now. All right. Um, so, uh, let's see here. Our new patron says, my question uh, for, oh, my question for Charles is this. As a legitimist, how does one adequately answer for the beginning of a legitimate dynasty. In what ways can medieval conquest be squared with the ideas of legitimate monarchy? For example, as a Jacobite, the origins for this uh, dynasty ultimately come back to the Norman conquest through some complex history, of course. How would you answer someone questioning the somewhat arbitrary nature of what is seen as legitimate? Well, Again, it's true. It does seem uh, rather arbitrary. But, of course, it's also lost in the mists of time. It's lasted hundreds and hundreds of years. When you bear in mind that our own system in the United States is not yet 250 years old, it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, but beyond that, uh, taking the Norman Conquest, it's, it should be remembered that Brutal as elements of it were, it didn't pop out of nowhere. Uh, Edward the Confessor, when he was shipwrecked in Normandy, uh, basically agreed to make William the Conqueror his successor. And it was on that basis that the Pope approved of William's conquest of England. So, I mean, you know, the Anglo-Saxon kings themselves, of course, uh, they came from the Union of England by Alfred the Great. But again, where did he come from? Well, his Christianized, his, when his ancestors became Christian, they took barbarian invading chieftains, chieftaincies, and became Catholic monarchies. And that, of course, was what made them legitimate. Like Clovis of the Franks being baptized and then crowned by St. Remy. Hmm. Okay. Um, I found the questioner's name. It's Ryan. Ryan, thank you so much. You are a hero. Um, 
it means a lot to us. Right now, by the way, just Tumblr House is really struggling. We're so dependent on the revenue from the gift shop right now. You know, it's high profit margin. And, you know, we offer the, you know, great deals on uh, varied items, um, albeit very unusual uh, ones. But I, I, I noticed you've got a run on uh, frozen chicken pot pies and electric blankets. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, um, I mean, we have local suppliers, right? But you know you know how it's like your restaurant, like a sorted, you know, game? You know, it's just, the stuff just comes to us, you know what I mean? Like, we can't well, pick and choose. Well, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I saw what happened. The 210 was blocked off through some quote-unquote accident. And all these trucks were being rerouted through downtown Arcadia, which, as you know, is filled with stops and various other mishaps. <laughs> Every, apparently, every time a truck would stop somewhere, stuff would fall out of the back. Yeah, there's a lot of potholes on the street. We really got to watch out for that. <laughs> um, Officer Clanton, you know, we've uh, – yeah, I've, strangely, the um, the leadership of Arcadia has not been too keen on fixing those potholes. That The uh, speed limit changes every other block. Yeah. 30 – 30 feet. I mean, this is a recent development, but 35 miles per hour, 30 miles per hour, 10 miles per hour, 25 miles per hour. And you could be pulled over for going too slow as well as too fast. Right. So <laughs> this, this is this is what we call. Well, you know, Chief Clancy says all he's done is taken Mayor Giuliani's idea of dealing with minor crime so that you don't get major crime. That's true. You mark my words. The trucker that goes down Main Street and does not speed up when he sees it's changed to 30 and slow down when he sees it's changed to 5. That man could be capable of anything. <sighs> so, for instance, let's say you're a trucker and you've got a load of, oh, I don't know, Frisbees intended for uh, someplace in Iowa. Well, you violate the uh, you violate the uh, speed laws in Arcadia, which, as I say, are fairly well marked. Sometimes you go to the um, you go to the uh, police station to fill out the uh, you know the the um, citation, and of course, while you're doing that, uh, the people are there to help uh, look after your load. Right, you're of course. Yeah. And sometimes things, you know, not a lot, but some of the stuff falls off the back of these trucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's if it doesn't happen just barreling down Main Street. I tell you, a friend of mine, he was he was crossing uh, he was crossing the street there on Huntington Drive, and uh, he almost got hit by two big boxes that flew off the back of a truck that stopped suddenly. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but then you're left with all of this excess merchandise. What's what? What are you going to do with it? Right, right. I mean, it'd be a, that's uh, what God made gift shops for. Well, yeah. Although I have to admit, the frozen chicken pot pies. I, I didn't. Never mind. All right. In any case. Um, all right, we have a bunch of questions from Helvicio. Really good oh, questions. Boy. Sounds very Swiss You're... to me. Oh, you remembered. Very good. Uh, see? All right, uh, Helvicio says, uh, there's a Croatian flag behind Charles in the background, but he never talks about Croatia. Has he ever been there? What makes the country interesting? Well, yes, that that is the Croatian flag, at least the royal Croatian flag. Charles has been there two or three times to Zagreb, uh, which is the capital of Croatia. What makes it interesting? Well, part of it, of course, is its connection to the uh, Habsburgs, the Hungarian monarchy, obviously. But the Croatians themselves are a fascinating people, Catholic uh, Slavs. Uh, the uh, Zagreb itself is a beautiful Austro-Hungarian town, but in addition, they have the extraordinary Dalmatian coast, which I haven't seen yet, but I've heard a lot about, uh, places like Split and uh, Dubrovnik and so on. Uh, 
uh, which I would very, very much like to see. Um, and they, they've got a very proud culture, a very proud folklore. They were, um, they were a, uh, had a, a sort of collaborationist government during World War II when uh, the Yugoslavia that they had been forced into after the fall of the empire in 1918 collapsed. Um, it was a Serbian-dominated uh, country, Yugoslavia was. And so the Croats were always, after an initial reception, they were uh, just not very happy. And the, the friction between the Serbs and the Croats has exploded from that time to this, usually with very unpleasant results for all concerned. Um, but it's a wonderful country, a very enjoyable place, and I highly recommend it. Plus, because of their connection with Hungary, you can get pureed chestnut in Zagreb. And if you've never had pureed chestnut, I recommend it. Hmm. Um, a couple of interesting things. Um, so that picture, there's a picture uh, of you uh, on the internet. Uh, I guess so. You're doing a World War One commemoration for Croatia. Yeah, yeah World War One commemoration, and also the um, at the very end of the war, you see, Croatia was a kingdom. And it was united with the Kingdom of Hungary the way the Kingdom of Hungary was united with the Empire of Austria. Uh, but the Croatians, as you might imagine, wanted to be a, become a kingdom with equal status with Austria and Hungary. And that was granted just before the end of the war by Emperor Karl, who had finally been able to secure the Hungarian government's cooperation. So what happened was that Dalmatia, which was part of uh, uh, part of Austria, was united with Croatia. Croatia became a separate kingdom, and for a few days, equal standing with Hungary and Austria, and then the whole thing fell apart. But that anniversary is what you see me celebrating in in Croatia with the. With the Croatians, oddly enough, I see. Uh, I think one of the commenters um, on YouTube mentioned some sort of uh, something about the affiliation with Nazism with that flag. No, the crown would not be there if that were the case. Yeah, I, I just—it's funny how what these trolls say sometimes. Um, you know, okay, stupid is good. We know this. But, uh, no, as I say, they had, because the, um, by the time of World War II, a lot of Croats had come to see the Yugoslavian government as oppressive and pro-Serb. Uh, they saw the defeat of Yugoslavia as uh, an opportunity for national independence, national development. Well, of course, that's fine, but if you're going to do that, you've got to be allied to the Axis, which is what they did. So the Croatian government of that time uh, first was a kingdom under a cousin of the King of Italy. And then when Italy switched sides in 1943, it became a uh, republic under German tutelage. But the man in charge was a fellow called Ante Pavlic, who was called the Poglavnik, that being Croatian for leader. Um, you know, and he definitely, definitely was an ally of the Axis and had little use for either Serbs or Jews. Um, but the saintly Cardinal of Zagreb, Cardinal Stepinac, was accused of being pro-Ustashi, that was the name of the party that uh, Pavlic led after the war, so the communists threw him in jail, and of course that wasn't true. Um, but why should that matter? When you're dealing with communists, the truth is unimportant. Very true. Um, by the way, it's always, it's really fun to, um, like every few years, I always, I love checking your Wikipedia cause it, it just see how it evolves. 
you know, and yeah, the, the, you know, I don't know who does it, frankly. <laughs> There's always something new. Um, I love how the last line of your Wikipedia right now says Cologne supports the American Solidarity Party and argued against the first impeachment of Donald Trump. And then that's I, I just <laughs> well, it's true, but it's I, kind of a random, it's yeah, like who is that important to that? You know, it's like, who are these people that find different things that are interesting in a good or bad way about you? And then they put that there. I have to admit having, um, having been opposed to his first impeachment is not really something I think about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, I mean, it it was obviously a, a political deal that was gotten up just because they could, you know. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, anyway, at least we've got uh, President Hindenburg and uh, uh, Vice President Pompadour guiding the ship of state to the rocks now. I um, <laughs> once you, what guiding it to the rocks? Yes, yeah. I don't, that's right over Niagara Falls. <laughs> Bye-bye, wee! So hard rains are going to fall, kids. I mean, I don't want to comment on the midterm elections, but it there's the hard rains are going to fall. Yep. All right. Um, let's see here. Another question from Helvicio. Uh, I heard that the French rescued Edgar Allan Poe from obscurity. If not for the French, Poe would be as unknown as William Gilmore Sims. Is there any Great truth to that? Great poet of South Carolina. Just wow. Now. There's a lot of truth to that. I, I agree. The uh, And the, the interest in Poe in France led to his rediscovery in the late 19th century. So I would definitely agree with that. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe was a tremendous genius, but there have been three Americans who uh, whose work was appreciated in France more than in the United States, and, and two of whom were eventually appreciated in the United States. But they are Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, and Jerry Lewis. So in this one, H.P. Lovecraft was never picked up by the United States. It's just friend. What was the odd man no, out I, on this? I, I, well, Jerry Lewis was because H.P. Lovecraft was picked up again in America, but he had fallen into obscurity in the states and became very popular in France, just like Poe. And so Jerry Lewis, how did, how does Jerry Lewis tie? Jerry Lewis, his movies became very popular in France. Uh, I think primarily because they confirmed all of the worst French prejudices about Americans. <laughs> oh, okay. That's my guess. Cinder fell up. Ha 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 ha. So you're not a fan of Jerry Lewis. You, you despise he, he him. Was, he was a wonderful humanitarian. I loved his telethon. Everything he did for Jerry's kids was just wonderful. Okay. Oh, you mean as a performer? Yes. I didn't think he was very funny. I can't remember. I, I know I've seen his stuff, but I can't remember... All of it. Obviously, I remember his style of comedy. <laughs> All right. Um, what? <laughs> it's just the, the animosity. There's some sort of animosity behind this that is amusing to me. There's no animosity. That was his style. <laughs> I know, but to us, it's like, okay. I mean, to normal people, it's like, yeah, that was his style. But to you, it's like, 
I don't know. There's something underneath. It's like your hatred for the Irish, you know? Like it like you I see don't it. hate the Irish. Yes, you do. I do not. Yes, you do. It's okay, Charles. It's okay. Yeah, it's not. I love the Irish. I don't like what they've become, but I don't like what the French <laughs> Canadians have become. I don't like what the French Canadians have become. I don't like what the Americans have become. You know. Um infanticidal maniacs. I don't think that's a good thing for anybody. See, here's the good thing. What we were able to prove in the midterm was that the Americans are just in their way. They're as bad as the Irish when it comes to abortion. Kill that baby. You know, I, I've thought about this a lot, and I know why you hate the Irish now. I don't I hate the Irish. First off, because your dad did. Secondly, did because, the because the Irish represented catholicism what irish the, himself. the irish in america represented catholicism par excellence but that should have been a right that that should have been a role that the french had and you have always been bitter about that uh kennedy <laughs> i i have to admit it's not the irish i have trouble with it is the Irish-American assumption that they were the only real Catholics, an assumption not borne out by people like Joe Kennedy. Even the the anecdote of your brother's baptism, uh, where the the priest says Andrew, right, and your dad yeah. says no, Andre, no wait, no Andrew, no Andre. <laughs> yeah. And he said, and then he says, uh, he says, in English, it's Andre, it's uh, Andrew. And Dad said, "Yes, I'm aware, but we're French." And then he said, "You're in America now, and it's Andrew." And my dad lost it. And he said, <laughs> "I am the third generation of this country, you damned immigrant, and I served in the war, and it's Andre." <laughs> Anyhow, um, and and I have to admit there was the memory of going into the Irish church when he was a boy, because in New Bedford, Massachusetts, full disclosure, my uh, grandparents did not live down to North End in the little Canada, the little French ghetto there. No, no, they had a bit of money, so they bought a whaling mansion on Water Street, surrounded by Irish and old Yankees. Now. They would go to mass at the family parish down in Odin, Sacré-Cœur. And when my grandfather was alive, they would drive down there. But he died, and they had no money. So they had to take the streetcar. But one Sunday, they missed the streetcar. So they went to mass in the nearby Irish church, where they had never been before. My father, my grandmother, and my aunt. And they sat in the front pew the way they would at Sakakai. But in the midst of his sermon, mind you, my grandmother and my aunt were not wearing the, the lace caps, you know, the high lace things that the French Canadian women used to wear, or wooden shoes or anything like that. But the priest said, in the midst of his sermon, Why don't your people go back where you belong? Now, my grandmother spoke English quite as well as she spoke French. So on the way out the door, she said, I'm so terribly sorry, Father. I hadn't realized this was an Episcopal church. And my dad said the priest turned red as a beet and he was so angry he couldn't speak. So, I don't want to imply there was any ill feeling between the French and the Irish. <laughs> 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 let's just say there was sort of a creative tension and of course part of the problem was that the french and the italians were republican and the democrats were, were the irish were democrats so one of the ways that you know kennedy did not carry uh new bedford in 1960 Fall River. So the way they paid them back was they ran the freeway right through Water Street and all those beautiful old whaling mansions, including ours, were destroyed. 
And now the downtown of New Bedford is in this sort of weird, isolated position because of the way the freeway is. And the beautiful views you used to have of the streets going down to the wharves, all gone. Well, don't mess with the Kennedys. Lesson learned, am I right? <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, I, I um, when when uh, little Teddy Kennedy drove off the Chappaquiddick Bridge with uh, Mary Jo Kopechne, the uh, DA of Bristol County, which includes New Bedford and Fall River, for reasons I don't really understand, is also the DA of Dukes County, which is Martha's Vineyard. So, I don't want to tell you that Eddie Denise, my father's former best friend, took uh, Kennedy money to shut down the investigation early. I don't want to tell you that. So what I will tell you is that he suddenly had enough money to buy a restaurant, a hotel, and a radio station. And my dad never spoke to him again. So, a little creative tension. But to be fair, Eddie Denise was not either French or Irish. Eddie was Portuguese. They're the other big group in that part of the world. Hmm. Fancy that. You seem unimpressed. You know the one th thing they all have in common? What? Because New Bedford, you know, you've got French Canadians, Irish, Italians, Germans, Hungarians, Portuguese. It's a very, very cosmopolitan town. But you know what they all have in common a love for? Stupid chow mein sandwiches? What? Not stupid chow mein <laughs> Sublime, delicious chow mein sandwiches. <laughs> this is one thing that brings all the ethnicities of that deeply divided town together. If you were an Italian from New Bedford, you would happily gobble your chow mein sandwich. Well, it's Italians are very. What is it? I mean, that Italians themselves have regional tension, right? So, I tell you what, New Bedford Italians are way different from New York Italians. I'll well, say that right now. You think so? You know the other place you'll find Chinese sandwiches? Where? Coney Island. My dad, my dad never had a chow mein sandwich. That's ridiculous. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'll be, I'll be I, I, I can picture. I can picture the face he would make if I would ask him such a question. I'll bet you were afraid to ask. You're afraid of the <laughs> truth. <laughs> you you were afraid the sordid reality of the fact that your father was a secret chow mein sandwich lover. That, was, that would just be a dagger through my heart. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. How can I live with this for the rest of my life? This horrible revelation. Uh, well, I, I think you may, you may very well be spared that final indignity, so don't worry about it. Okay, good. All right. Um, Elvicio says, I read about the Sicilian Vespers recently. Was French rule over Sicily bad enough to warrant the rebellion? No. Uh, the Sicilians were very excited. A little too much Dago Red, you know. They, they had it good. <laughs> they had it good, and they didn't realize just how good they had it. You know, they, they, they just didn't understand. That happens, you know. Kids, they just don't get it. Actually, all kidding aside, the Sicilian Vespers was pretty bad. Uh, Sicilian chicks who were pregnant with from French fathers uh, actually had their babies cut out of their wombs. It wasn't fun, the Sicilian Vespers. What, so wait, what are the Sicilian Vespers? Back in the early Middle Ages, I forget now the exact date, um, Sicily, like Naples, was for a while under the domination of not the king of France, but his brother, the Angevin, uh, the Duke of Anjou. And um, they had a rebellion against uh, French rule in Sicily, and it was a rising that was begun. It was very carefully planned, and it began at Vespers. 
she called it the Sicilian Vespers. It was it was pretty nasty, actually. But I mean, again, I um, you know everybody has their causes for doing things. It was a long time ago, and I haven't studied it that carefully, honestly. So, but probably the French were right. Would be my guess, just off the top of my head, that you know, being French, they were probably correct. I mean, they might have been wrong. It, it has happened, but without further evidence, we can probably assume that the French were right. All right, unless unless compelling evidence to the contrary should appear. Yeah, well, that's typical. I mean, that's expected, right? Innocent until proven guilty. Um, exactly. See, that's what the French legal system is based on. Uh, no, yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, I think that's purely an American um, approach, right? Well, Engl it's English. Oh, English. Okay. Now we inherited it from them. On the continent, it is guilty until proven innocent. That's interesting. All right. Um, So, uh, last question from Helvicio. He says, why do people still criticize the church over the Mortara case? Do you think that it will prevent blessed Pope Pius IX from ever being canonized? Not when saner times prevail and when the people in charge of things, of that sort of thing, aren't, uh, shall we say, patsies for political opinion. And that day will come sooner or later. Uh, what do I think of the Mortara case? Well, the opinion I have is the opinion of Mortara himself. He was grateful that uh, it worked out the way he did. And, you know, I'm sorry if that upsets people, but that's how he felt about it. And I am willing to defer to his opinion. Well, Pius IX had the salvation of the guy's soul in mind. And I understand that's not something we're interested in today. Uh, we're quite happy that everyone should go to hell. And that's fine, I guess, if one feels that way. So, but that's not how Pius XII felt. I'm going to give you some pushback. Or Pius, sorry, Pius IX, my mind. Gone. I'm going to give you some pushback on this one. Um, because... So... Would you say the Mortara case is as politically incorrect as the canonization of Father Junipero Serra? No, more so. More so, really. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah, I feel because... like it's more I, – I think there's a difference there, though, in terms of how um, prolific the knowledge is and how you know the story of the missions is sort of ingrained – into... It is in California, but in the rest of the world, I assure you, the Mortara case is a much bigger deal. Because I never even heard of the Mar Mar Mortara case myself until it was posed as a question on the show. So you're telling well, me people because... around the world know the Mortara case? Oh, yeah, especially Jews. Where do they pick that? I mean, do they teach that in schools? Where do they pick that up? Well, I mean, they, it's written about in articles and so forth, different publications. Uh, you know, it, and it's something that um, to this day comes up even amongst um, not just Jews, but people who consider the church by nature illiberal, which it is. Uh, and they think, well, this is terrible. But again, the problem that the Pope was faced with was that this was a child who had been baptized. And he felt it his obligation, especially because he wasn't just a Catholic, but he was a, a subject of the Pope, temporarily speaking. He had an obligation of the child, uh, a view that the child himself uh, came to share. So, you know, I mean, again, Pius IX believed in the necessity of baptism for salvation. But of course, baptism isn't magic by itself. You need to be able to respond to the graces of baptism. And you can only do that if you're educated in the Catholic faith. Otherwise, you're baptized, all right. You've got the obligations of a Catholic, but you don't know anything about it. 
It's kind of like going to Catholic school in most places. Hmm. What? Okay. Um, all right. All right. Final question for today is from Patrick Murphy. Good old ah, Patrick. is it now, Mr. Murphy, sir? Yeah, I'm sure Mr. Murphy agrees with me on the... Uh, some Ancient of the Order of Hibernians. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so Patrick says, uh, Greetings to the Don and his scribe. In a recent episode, Mr. Coulomb again brought up canonizations being stalled for political correctness purposes. Wow. This is a great, a great follow-on to the last question. Yeah, thank you. I... Yeah, I try. This leads me to wonder, why are more of the saintly martyrs of the Vendée canonized? Would this be due to Rome not wanting to antagonize Masonic France? Additionally, since I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, can Mr. Cologne please discuss a couple of his favorite figures from the Vendée counter-revolution? Sure. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, to answer his first question, absolutely. And it's also why Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette have never been proposed for sainthood, even though the, the Pope at the time, Pius VI, declared that uh, Louis XVI was, in fact, a martyr. Uh, mind you, that was his personal opinion. But you would think with that kind of an approbation, at some point they would have opened the cause and looked into it. They never have. Wait, so I'm sorry. Maybe I I didn't understand the question well. Are we saying why are so many Vendée people canonized, or why are so few? Not, or why they have not been canonized? Okay. Not looked into. Got it. And he's he asks, is it because of fear of antagonizing Masonic France? The answer is yes. Okay. Uh, and that's as I I add to that. That's what's kept Louis Sixteenth uh, from a cause being open for him. Uh, despite the fact that the Pope of the time, at the time he was murdered, uh, declared that he was a martyr. Now, as I say, he only did this in his personal capacity. But with that kind of approbation by the Pope of the time, you would think that they would have opened the cause in order to investigate it. But of course, to do so would call into question the legitimacy of successive French governments, including the present one, with whom, despite their often anti-clerical, anti-Catholic nature, the Holy See still has a very close relationship in certain particular areas. As far as the Vendée goes, oh, so many people. Uh, Chalette de la Contrie, Le Rachaclin, the, the, the young nobleman who said, uh, uh, you know, follow me. Um, oh, how did it go? If I advance, follow me. If I retreat, shoot me or something. I forget what it was, but he was an amazing fellow. Delbay uh, and Jacques Catellino, the so-called uh, Saint of Anjou, who um, was one of the peasant leaders of the Vendée. Uh, he was an interesting character because uh, his um, early years were spent smuggling salt and things like that. He was caught, he was captured uh, by the authorities, and he was going to be executed. Well, this was 1785 or something like that. The king was very solidly on his throne. Well, the problem was he was the only son of his widowed mother. So she made her way all the way to Versailles from the Vendée, which is quite a long trek. And buttonholed Louis XVI and said to him, you know, my son is about to be executed for a crime of which he was guilty, smuggling salt, but he's my only support, and I, I beg you to pardon him. And the king did. So she very happily got back to the Vendée as quickly as she could, produced the royal pardon, and uh, Jacques Catalino was uh, liberated. So some few years later, the king has been murdered by the revolutionaries. The revolution breaks out in the Vendée. He joins it, 
and he was asked, you know, you, do you think we have a chance of winning? And he said, well, it's not likely, but I owe my life to my king. So what does it matter if I lose it in his service? I wouldn't have it otherwise. I wouldn't have it otherwise. So I like all those, all those guys. They were real heroes. And it's also good to remember, too, that that kind of heroism was not just found in the Vendée, but in Brittany and Normandy, uh, in the south of France. They had different names for them, but the Chouanerie, les Chouans, is what they tended to call them. But they had other names. The, uh, uh, the Compagnie du Soleil, they were called in southern France, the Companies of the Sun. And uh, they carried on the fight against the revolution in many different ways. And usually they lost, but not always. And of course, when the uh, when the whole thing ended in 1815, a lot of them, those that survived, uh, were well rewarded for their sacrifices. And those that didn't, those who were martyred, were venerated. Hmm. All right, um, that's going to do it for the questions on this episode. Um, Are you ready for Turkey Lurkey Day? Always. Are you ready for their dancing on the desks and everything else next week? Yeah. Why you, you say that so plaintively, yeah. You get tired of it? Dancing on the desks? Well, I mean, the, the secretarial girls dancing on the desks. It's a little raucous, but um, you know we we here at Tumblr House we like to empower our employees and afford them with sort of these creative outlets. You know? Oh, that's beautiful. That's 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 really so beautiful. Well, what can I say except that Christmas is coming, and because Christmas is coming, ladies and gentlemen, we know this is happening because Santa Claus will arrive. Thanksgiving weekend in Los Angeles, in New York, and lots of other places, in the Santa Claus Lane Parade, in the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. And so there is few gifts you can give better than Catholic books. And while we're thinking of Catholic books, let's think of those available from Tumblr House. What is What kind of order gets you free shipping and handling? All orders over $30 gets you free shipping and handling. $30, ladies and gentlemen. Two books tops or a really expensive single book. Yeah. So you'll get free shipping and handling. And and if you're very good, Santa may actually tie it to a brick and toss it through your window. Yes, if you're lucky. If you're very lucky. <laughs> I'd send in my money and hope for the best. <laughs> you know this was like the best closing thoughts you've ever done charles you're really hungry for that christmas bonus i can tell i i really am <laughs> hungry for that christmas bonus well you gotta bear in mind i've been sick for for weeks now I, I haven't written anything during that time so ladies and gentlemen help the old man's income flow at christmas buy those books especially mine of course but anybody's um I, I don't mind saying that it has been a very difficult time, but I am getting better. Uh, November 22nd, I've got to go back to the hospital for a consultation, and I shall probably have an operation in early December. Um, so your prayers would be appreciated. You're able to get out of the house a decent amount, right? You're not getting cabin fever. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's I go good. to class and all that. Okay. Uh, I mean... It's it's just that it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. From time to time. And I um I um you know, we'll see what the future holds, ladies and gentlemen, but your prayers would be uh would be lovely. I was just emailed this line, uh the delusions of King Ludwig, the builder of all those castles in Bavaria, gave more of lasting value to the world than all my petty sanity. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's wonderful <laughs> anyway on that note 
Uh, I mean, uh, do you have a question for me or should I ask you one? Yeah, what is it if it's Monday? Uh, don't help. I work best without a net. Hold on. It's off the menu. Now, what about the soul you save? Well, after due consultation with the proper authorities, I believe it may well be your own. See you next week, guys. God bless all. Thank you so much for everything.